everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host. Joining me, as always, are the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and, of course, Tim Williams. Now, last night, guys, we saw a baseball game, World Series Game 2, which was a wild one. It lasted over four hours. It saw a record eight home runs. And, uh, you know, the Astros came out on top 7-6. That uh, is after game one where we saw an old-style pitching duel uh, between Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander that uh, was spun around in two hours and 28 minutes. We now have a Dodger win, an Astro win. And we're leaving Los Angeles and headed to Houston, where on Friday night, Tampa Catholic's own and Lutz's own, Lance McCullers will take the mound for the Astros. He'll face you, Darvish, who, since he came over to Los Angeles from Texas, has been nothing but spectacular. So two pitchers, both of whom, are not fireballers. They're guys who are painters and good at it. Uh, we'll face each other in game three of what has thus far been a very entertaining World Series. Your thoughts, Joe Henderson? Well, this is shaping up to be one of those World Series that people will remember and, and talk about uh, for years, if not decades. And, uh, it's got every storyline imaginable. It, it, you've got a traditional glamour franchise with the Dodgers. Uh, you've got a, a crazy, wild, impossible comeback win last, uh, in game two for the Astros. You're going home to the city of Houston, which is we all know has just been battered and beaten up by the floods and the hurricanes and and. And now, you know, you, we've got the storyline for Tampa with uh, Lance McCullers Jr. pitching. It's it just just wrap your arms around this one because these kind of things don't come along that often. Ira, your thoughts? You know, I I think of I think we've seen the salvaging of a very interesting World Series because mm-hmm. Tim, if if the Strohs go down two nothing and they've used Keiko and Verlander, uh, I, I know they're going home, but still, uh, then the Dodgers still look invincible. Uh, L.A. was 98-0, and zero, gentlemen, 98-0 mm-hmm. in the regular season and postseason heading into yesterday's game with a lead going in the ninth inning. They hadn't lost one game. And late thunder from Houston, some of the bats that have been silent, like George – yes, I'm talking about you, George Springer. <laughs> uh, he just looked awful until last night, and he snapped out of it. That's great news for Stroh's fans. Uh, one more point, guys. Uh, Tim, what do you think of this? This is the first time, maybe all season, the first time all season the Dodgers may feel a little pressure. Uh, they ran away with the NL West. They've not been challenged in the postseason. And now it's one and one, and you're going on the road. So we'll see how they respond. i got no reason to think they're going to fold. Tim, but it's interesting that uh, the first time a little bit of adversity for the L.A. Dodgers. Well, the Dodgers are a bit of an unpredictable team. There's that three-week stretch where they only won one game. So they they can have a little bit of of trouble at times. And that if, if Houston had lost this game last night, that would be the only thing keeping them in the series is you really never know what to expect with the Dodgers, even though they've won all those games. They also had that one stretch where they were absolutely miserable. And that can be, that can be trouble. But on top of it, not only are we getting a great series, we're getting great individual games. People wanted baseball sped up. Turns out all you need are two of the best pitchers in baseball to just go at each other because that two hour and 35 minute game or whatever that was, that was, that was exactly what the commissioner has been talking about for years with pace of play and trying to speed up the game. But then a long game can be excellent too, because we saw all these fireworks 
last night in a game that early on risked being upstaged by the guy throwing out the first pitch with that Vin Scully um, act that he brought out with pulling out Fernando Valenzuela and the crowd just going nuts. And then there was that late surge in this incredible game. So I think I agree with the point that this is shaping up to be something really special, even as World Series go. And that's coming off a World Series that will be talked about for decades last year. You know, um, we're totally overlooking one thing about game two. Has there ever been a better first pitch ceremony than what we saw last night with uh, Vin Scully and then calling on Fernando Valenzuela and, and just Steve Yeager you know, catching it. Steve Yeager. I mean, genius, genius. And in fact, they, they ought to just stop having people throw out the first ball from mm-hmm. now on. Cause you can, you can't top that. It was, whether you like the Dodgers or, or not, you just got to sit there and, and two thumbs up and well done, guys, because it doesn't get better than that. You know, I don't half- think, Jim, are we, uh, <laughs> Jim, are we sure that uh, Steven Spielberg didn't choreograph that? I mean, it's, uh, I, that's a it's scully, right out of Hollywood. That's a oh, scully man. move. I mean, Vin is, Vin is nothing if not a showman, but – um, great line last night from Joe Buck. He said, you know, there's a lot of online polls that were saying that they would love to hear, you know, Vin Scully call one more, uh, you know, World Series game. And he goes, I will tell you this. I will personally drive to Vin's house, pick him up, bring him over here and put the headset on him myself if he would do it. Because the only problem, Vinny, if you're listening, is that, you know, Fox has cut down on the budget, so I've got a, a you know a small rental car. So we may have to take your car if you're more comfortable. Uh, but now, I mean, Joe Buck outwardly saying, without question, uh, you know, as he said, as the son of uh, you know of Jack Buck, uh, I have nothing but the greatest of respect for Vin Scully. And if he wants to call an inning or a game, he goes, I'm I'm in on it. So. I don't know if that's a harbinger of things to come. I know Vinny has already said he didn't want to call it, but I think that was he didn't want to call radio on the Dodgers. But, um, you know, they might be able to talk him into it if uh, if the series, and I do expect the series will get back to Los Angeles. That, um, you know, it, it might be something that, uh, that Vinny might be amenable to. Well, it was just great to see him come out and do that because mm-hmm. either way we couldn't have this – Dodgers in the World Series without some kind of appearance from Vin Scully. Mm-hmm. You know, a question to the three of you baseball seam heads, and that is, what about Dave Roberts coming out in the fourth inning last night with all of his saber metrics and thinking, okay, this is a good idea to take Rich Hill out? I, I, I think that's overthinking it. I really do. I mean, I understand Kershaw game one. He's got a pattern. He's got a formula, Roberts. You know, go tomorrow right. and then and then go to dance. And I understand that. Uh, it, it worked for over 100 victories, so why change? Right. But during the regular season, he's not taking Rich Hell out after four mm-hmm. innings. And, uh, Joe, why why tax your bullpen unnecessarily? Uh, I've heard this theory. You don't want Hill to go through the lineup, uh, you know, a third time. Uh, Joe, he wasn't laboring. Um, Roberts, who – Generally does a very good job. His low-key style, I think, is perfect for uh, L.A. Um, I think uh, that wasn't his finest hour, Joe. Well, it wasn't his finest hour because it didn't work. But it the, that's the game plan the Dodgers used all year to win 104 games. And they have arguably the best bullpen in the major leagues. And... All right, didn't work last night. Uh, Hill was obviously, uh, shall we say, not happy at being taken out. But that's the way they play it. That's how they set up their team. And, you know, not every decision is going to work. And so I, I don't really have a problem with it. I think last night's game was more about the Astros and what they did right than what the Dodgers did wrong. That's just my, my feeling on that. It yeah, reminded I, me, uh, uh, guys, isn't, wasn't there a game, Joe, uh, with the uh, famous game, uh, the Yankees, when they took out Tommy John or something, and he uh, 
Didn't tell me John throw a fit, Joe, in a World Series game um, coming out early. You know, I've got to be honest. I don't remember that, but here's one I do remember. Um, it was, and not surprisingly, it will involve the Cincinnati Reds. And it was uh, with uh, two outs in the ninth, of, of, and the Reds were one out away from sweeping the Oakland A's in the 1990 World Series. And they had Jose Rio on the mound, and he was just blowing through people. I mean, he wasn't laboring. He wasn't, there was no problems. And, you know, Oakland was just looking like they wanted to, to find a, a place to go hide and just get it over with. So what happens? Lou Pinella pops out of the dugout, Red's manager, walks to the mound, calls Randy Myers in from the bullpen. And we're all going, what? And I will never forget this. Now, Myers did get the last out, and the, and the Reds won the game in the World Series. But Larry Rothschild, who's now the pitching coach for the Yankees, was the, uh, was out in the bullpen, uh, bullpen coach for uh, the Reds that year. And the Reds had had some key injuries in that game, including Eric Davis, uh, who was injured badly enough he wouldn't have played again the rest of the series. And before Myers went out, Rothschild pulled him aside and said, listen, you either get this last out and we win this game or we're going to lose the series if we have to play. If, if, if Oakland pulls this out, you know, it's on you because we won't win the World Series. And uh, talk about a little pressure there. But, you know, you could say Lou Pinella was overthinking it there too, but it worked out. So, Well, Just, and you look at it, Kenley Jansen was on the mound in the ninth inning with a lead. They got yeah. exactly to where they needed to be. There's a day, there's a travel day tomorrow, so they weren't worried about exhausting their bullpen for another game. You don't play for extra innings when you're in the lead. I I have no problem with the move. It it ended up working out. It's just Kenley Jansen gave up a home run. Nobody was expecting that to happen, really. Well, and 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 let's let's look at this. Um, you talk about taking Hill out too early, but until the uh, eighth inning of that game, uh, the Dodger bullpen had 28 straight scoreless innings in the postseason. Yep. yep. You know, um, roll with it. All right, didn't work, but I I promise you one thing that uh, they won't hesitate to to use that same plan again if the opportunity presents itself. Uh, man, well, we uh, got us. Yeah, go ahead. Now, Jim, just a quick thing about the Astros. Now, I'm going to sure. throw this out there. It, it might be a little bit of a stretch, but I don't think it's a lot of uh, much of a stretch. Um, I think you could argue that um, little Jose Altuve uh, is the best player in baseball, uh, at least for 2017. I think that's uh, uh, that's a strong argument, uh, and I think you could suggest that within a year or two. Uh, Mr. Correa might be the best player in baseball. Uh, he's awfully good. Uh, that's not a bad. Uh, that's not a bad foundation, gentlemen. Uh, when, and you add a few guys in, no. uh, like uh, you know Springer, uh, who, who seems to snap out of his funk. And uh, the Astros are going to be around for a long time, guys. They're not going anywhere. Well, the no, Astros. As a matter of uh, fact, yeah. Well, they have they showed what was it five years ago they went into this total rebuild mode and they just tanked mm -hmm. and losing over 100 games i think it was two three years in a row just awful mm -hmm. couldn't get out of their own way but you could see that what they were doing was assembling a team that could rise to the stage that they're on now and uh be consistent enough to stay on it for a while. And I, I think, I think I was right. This is a team that you better get used to seeing them because they're really, really good. And uh, they made the commitment, the interesting trade, the, the last minute trade to bring Verlander in um, was maybe the missing piece that they needed because they've got him wrapped up uh, beyond the end of this season. This wasn't a rent -a player. They're willing to pay and, um, and keep him in the fold, and he's he's the difference maker right now. 
So I have a question for everyone based off the way the Astros built their team and something I've been thinking about throughout this World Series. So if you're a team in baseball that right now is in the cellar and doesn't look to be competitive anytime soon with the players you have, is the answer to just throw away entire seasons? Is tanking, I mean, it, clearly it works. Is that the prescription now? Is that the blueprint? Well, you got to pick the right guys, Tim. I mean, just because you got the uh, the first or second pick in the draft, um, you know, sometimes there's no clear cut number one. So I understand what you're saying, but it it, it is then up to your scouting department. Uh, to get it right. Um, there's a lot of blown draft picks at the top of the draft, baseball draft. It's not like uh, basketball when a Tim Duncan comes out uh, or a Shaquille O'Neal. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. You can't blow that one. Uh, Joe, I, I think baseball is different. You got to make the right picks, and, uh, and, and Houston did. Well, you're absolutely right, but there, even more than that, you have to be patient. And Pro sports owners, by and large, are not noted for that. The Astros, yes, they made the right picks. What they also did was they had an organizational philosophy that said this is the type, you know, this is the kind of player we're looking for. And you stick with it during, you know, seven-game losing streaks. You, you, you realize that there's going to be a lot of potholes, but – you put together your game plan, you sit back, and then you plug in the parts that you're looking for, and then you put it in the oven and let it bake, which is what the Astros did. <laughs> and uh, that's the blueprint. The blueprint is patience. You don't. I don't think you well, necessarily go out and say, all right, we're going to lose 110 games this year, but trust me, in five years we'll be in the World Series. No. The, the blueprint is to look at your roster and go, okay, this is the kind of player we want to bring in to fit with the way we want to play the game. Joe, to your point, I think that one of the biggest additions and one of the things that helped them out was adding Brian McCann to, um, you know, to the team as the catcher. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was smart enough and could handle, um, you know, the pitching staff, the young pitchers, the old pitchers, and and knew what was going on. At the same time, you have to have a Brian McCann in the locker room to help you understand what's going on. And there's a lot of of that um, mixture of chemistry. If you don't, uh, as you say, and I re- I agree, it's it's all about top down philosophy from the ownership to the general manager to the scouting department to everybody's got to be on the same page here just ripping something apart see the miami you know marlins uh doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to build it back up to become a uh, you know a, a winning franchise and i think that's uh you know to their credit i mean si had them on the cover you know your 2017 world champion astros um you know last year because of you know in large part the way they were building the franchise and you know kudos to the astros to the front office to the ownership um mr mclean and that whole group um they 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 understand the concept of building a team and sticking with it and um adding the veteran players um that make all the the right moves and then the commitment as ira you you had mentioned joe mentioned as well I mean, look, it's a it's a major, you know, we all know there isn't a question that Justin Verlander can pitch. That's a fact. But when you're taking Justin Verlander, who wasn't having a great year over in Detroit, bring him in and at the same time eat a contract that is nearly $70 million. That that's a, that's that's something that uh, a lot of other teams had that same shot, but they took a pass on it. But the there was something about the Astros, um, you know, and they're looking at the at uh, Verlander and saying, you know what, I think he's, you know, we could tweak what the problem is. Just get him over here and get him in the in our lineup. We'll figure out what to do with him. I got a question, uh, gentlemen. I have a question for Mr. James Williams, and uh, yeah. 
I'm going to lay this on you, Jim. Uh, yeah. Out of left field, out of left field, you tell me. Um, <clears throat> Henderson, uh, withhold your comment till I finish here. Uh, Jim, I have a blockbuster trade. It has to come down in the next week or two because uh, as soon as the World Series ends, there's going to be an announcement. Mm-hmm. And here it is. And here it is, Jim. The Nationals trade for Bruce Bochy. The Nationals give up a top prospect in their system to my prospect bereft Giants, who have a terrible system, and Bochy goes to a team where he can put them over the top. The Giants are going nowhere right now. It's a rebuilding plan. Does he really want to do that at his age? He's got heart problems. Jim, they just fired Dave Rigetti and two other coaches underneath Bochy's wings. They fired him. Mm-hmm. And that ain't his idea. So I'm just thinking the Nats have to have to come up with their answer. I, I don't see anybody that is more reasonable than Bruce Bochy. If you can convince him to leave San Francisco, uh, what is wrong with that scenario, Mr. Williams? I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think if that would be possible, I think they'd do it. I think that right at the moment, um, somebody you and Joe know very well is probably likely going to be the manager, and that guy is uh, Dave Martinez. Um, He was runner-up twice for the role, and I think that this time, the third time might very well be the charm. But, you know, if – Look, nothing is impossible, Ira, and I think that that conversation, um, you know, I, it's a scenario that that I don't think would be out of the question. But I think, uh, you know, right now there really is only two people that the Nationals are looking at. One is Dave Martinez, and the other is uh, somebody Tim knows uh, out of um, out of Boston. And you know, one of those one of those two guys I, at the moment is going to get it. But Ira, that's an interesting conver- uh, possibility. I want a man with three. I want a man with three rings on his fingers, gentlemen, for a team like the Nats who are ready to win. That's Just for the record, I didn't think Dusty should have been fired. I don't know why you give up a top level prospect for a guy with a championship pedigree when you can just go out and get John Farrell for free. Well, that that's interesting. Uh, I've been saying I I I said it to Jim pretty much the moment the Nationals lost in the playoffs that welcome to the John Farrell era. Well, has he been been mentioned, Jim? Go ahead, Joe. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say, what would John Farrell bring to the table that Dusty Baker didn't? I think the Nationals' problems extend far beyond the dugout and go into the front office and and even ownership. Because we just talked about, a couple of minutes ago, about the need for patience and the need for sticking with a plan. Along comes Dusty Baker. Wins 95 games a year. Uh, A lot of people believe that what he did this year was his best managing job. He takes them down to the decisive game uh, of the the playoff series where they lose on what widely was understood to be not his fault. He made the right moves. They didn't work out. So then the Nationals leave him hanging for several days and then just, oh, by the way, yeah, we're not bringing you back. Sorry, move on. I mean, that's crazy. And that is why the Nationals will, in my opinion, miss their window of opportunity and be forced into a rebuilding mode. Having said that, I hope this is Dave Martinez's time. I hope he gets his shot. He's a good man. Uh, I think he would do a good job with the Nationals. He certainly would be coming into a situation that where he would be expected to, if not just make the World Series, actually win the World Series. Um, so there is that. 
Um, they've made it clear that it's it's series ring or bust in there. So I don't know if the idea is to bring him in so that you know he's not a, he wouldn't be a high profile manager if if he gets the job, and so would then in theory be more um, likely to recognize that he's part of an overall managerial game plan uh, with the with the uh, front office. But, you know, I hope he gets his chance, but I think they made a grievous mistake in firing Dusty Baker. I just think it was a terrible move. Let I me go back. It was a panic move. It was what? just appeasing a fan base. No, no, it had nothing to do with either of those. Um, let me, let me, let me give you the insight on what happened there. Um, Mike Rizzo, who's the general manager of the club, was a big advocate that Dusty Baker stay. Ted Lerner, who is in his 90s, has said all along, you know, I am committed to putting the best team I can on the field. We'll spend whatever it takes to get there. And Ted Lerner made the choice that Dusty Baker was leaving the nationals um it was not mike rizzo it was not the front office it was it was ted lerner saying that i would love to see a world series before i die which unfortunately may very well be very soon um you know when you're in your 90s you're not looking you don't have a 10-year plan uh so you know was it was it the you know you can't blame the organization the, the person you want to blame on this if you want to blame anybody is the guy that writes the checks, and he basically said, "You know what? Uh, you know, was it a knee-jerk move? It was a knee-jerk move because he made that decision not long after that game was over, and Mike Rizzo and the front office did everything humanly possible to try to talk him out of it, um, and they couldn't. So you move on, and um, there you go. Um, it is what it is. Uh, the decision was made by." Not by the owner. I mean, bottom line, that was it. He, that doesn't uh, mean they handled it right, though. Uh, no, no, okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not defending anybody here. I'm just simply saying, you know, if you're going to point a finger, let's let's get to the finger of the actual person who pulled, you know, who decided this is this is what's going to happen. And um, you know, look, um, it is what it is. I think. You know, if you are Joe, um, you know, if, um, you guys know Dave, Hen- uh, Dave Henderson, Dave, um, uh, Dave Martinez. Uh, well, um, you know, quick question is, is Dave Martinez the kind of guy who you want as your manager? Well, you do have to ask yourself one thing. When Joe Madden left the Rays, mm-hmm. Dave, Dave was his right hand man. Yep. And wanted the job desperately. I mean, okay. he really, you know, people liked him. Um, the Rays had obviously had a lot of success uh, during his time there. Um, and he interviewed for the job and uh, didn't get it. They hired Kevin Cash. Now, I'm not saying Kevin Cash was a bad hire, mm-hmm. but they did not give the job to the in-house guy. Right. Maybe they would just at that point decided we want to, you know, we need, we need to go in a different direction. And they've done that so straight down the standings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> um, they, uh, they have gone in a different direction. All right. And uh, they've uh, lapsed into a mediocreville. So um, I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to give Dave Martinez a shot. He's a, he's a, Tremendous baseball man, and I'll tell you what—he's one of the one of the more um, just engaging, nice people that you would ever want to run across. Um, he uh, is certainly not a um, superstar manager. He won't have a big ego. Um, quite, my question is going to be: That's an interesting clubhouse you have there in Washington, Jimbo. And uh, <laughs> navigating that can be a challenge, especially during the tough times. But uh, uh, it's usually it's a you know it's a clubhouse where players want 
you know, they like Davy Johnson. They like Dusty Baker. They didn't like Matt Williams. I mean, Matt Williams was not, Matt Williams was kind of a hard, you know, Knox kind of guy. And he didn't, he wasn't a communications kind of guy. Dusty and, and, uh, and uh, Davey are. And I don't know if, is Dave Martinez a player's manager? I I'm think asking. he would be. I, I think he would be. I don't think there's any question about that. Okay. Um, you know, uh, he was a pretty good player in his own right. So he knows what that grind is all about. And uh, I don't, let's put it this way. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Dave Martinez. There you go. Hey, uh, Jim, Jim, yeah. I want to do a little, sh- a little shout out. Uh, now this goes sure. along with something Tim, Will- Tim Williams has been saying for mm-hmm. months here. Um, and talking about John Farrell, Tim, I don't want to, uh, try to interpret your, your, your feelings, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I think the word that uh, Tim Williams comes comes to mind for Tim is maybe underappreciated. Underappreciated. Um, there's another guy named Joe Girardi, who um, is also in a high-pressure uh, job, uh, who I think is feels unappreciated, and I think with some uh, justification. Uh, he's looking for more money from the Yankees. I don't know if he's going to get it. Um, Guys, Joe Girardi is a quality manager. Uh, look what he did with a team that nobody expected to do much uh, in 2017. One win away from the World Series. Um, so along the lines of, uh, of a John Farrell, Tim, uh, I think you can throw uh, Joe Girardi's name uh, right, right in there at, at the same level. Um, high pressure, goes about his business, gets the job done. But nobody's putting him on the short list of uh, of the game's elite managers. Well, and he did a great job last year too with a team that sold at the deadline that looked like they were giving up at the deadline. He kept them kind of on the periphery of the wild card race all the way through. He did a great job then. He did a great job this year. You know, rookies don't get that good out of nowhere. You have to have a good a good coaching staff in place to get them where they need to be. And Girardi's done a great job in New York. I think if he were available, the nationals, I I don't see why they wouldn't jump on him. I, I think that just judging by everything that Jim has said about the nationals, it seems like their next manager is going to be someone who won a championship somewhere at some point, because if that's why they fired Dusty Baker, they're going to have to hire somebody that's proven they've done it in the past. That's why I mentioned Farrell. But if Girardi became available, I think he's a better version of that. And that's as someone who I think you had it dead on. John Farrell was very underappreciated. The same thing's true of Girardi. He's been a great manager in New York. He made one mistake in the ALDS, which, by the way, New York won that series. But Everyone wanted his head suddenly. It's It just shows you the kind of fans that are in the Northeast. And I think those are two very different fan bases, but they can be vicious in a very similar way. You know, a little fun fact about uh, the Yankees, just not for nothing, as I like to say. They have had, after all of the um, upheaval uh, in managers, they have had two managers in the last, 21 years. How about that? Joe Torre, uh, starting in 96, and then uh, Girardi took over in 2008 and is still there. And Girardi, if my research is correct, I believe has managed uh, out of 34 Yankee managers uh, in that time, he has managed the fifth largest uh, total of games. So there you go. Well, that's that's good, but as um, you know, after Game Two uh, against Cleveland, the <laughs> the writers in New York <laughs> wanted Joe Girardi fired at the end of the season. Well, and, uh, yeah, but let, let, let us let, let us be clear about something. Um, yeah, and with, I love my New York writer friends. I think they're great. They've got a tough job, but if. Girardi made the same mistake in the third week of the of the regular season. They would want his job that night. 
that's just how they that's yeah. just how it is and that's it is a, I, I was gonna say the second week of spring training perhaps yeah but, uh... Uh, you know so and you know if if george steinbrenner uh, may he rest in peace god rest his soul yeah he would uh, if he were managing uh or i'm uh, managing owning the yankees although i guess you could say he was managing them but if he had owned the yankees during the uh during that period um he might have he might have fired Girardi that night. I don't know, but uh, you know. Well, it, it, in it, the go ahead, Ira. Hey, hey, hey Jim, uh, is it your yeah. sense now? You know, I, I've learned to trust your instincts. Um, Jim, is it, is it your sense that the Nationals have made a decision and and are kind of just wait until uh, the World Series ends, or is I it think fluid? It's gonna be, I think it's going to be Farrell or or Dave, but I think they're thinking that. Dave is kind of like the uh, situation when the Dodgers got rid of, um, you know, Donnie baseball and let Mattingly go that, um, that what they did is they, you know, put in a guy who uh, knew how to make it work. And uh, I think they believe that, um, you know, after what they've seen that Dave Martinez is the guy who can make it work and understand that the nationals front office is all real baseball guys. I mean, they're, it's all old baseball, you know, uh, lifers. You've got, um, you know, uh, Mike Rizzo, who is a, who brought, he came up as a scout. He was in the Red Sox organization. Then he went over to become part of the, um, the, uh, uh, Diamondbacks organization. You got Bob Boone, who you guys know well from his days, uh, in Cincinnati and in, in, and in Philadelphia and all the time he spent down in the Tampa Bay area during spring training. I mean, it, it's, it's a long litany of, of baseball people. And so they understand and appreciate baseball guys. Dave Martinez is a baseball guy. John Farrell's a baseball guy. And I think that they feel that what is going to be best for the team is somebody who is a Dusty Baker like guy, meaning somebody who understands how players play and need to to play and and how um you know how you keep a clubhouse uh, moving and how you handle young players and how you handle uh you know veterans and i think um they feel that those are the two guys right now and le- unless somebody comes in and blows their socks away those would be the two guys that would come out of it so you know at this point i think that's where they are uh in their in their um hunt for a for a manager but real quick guys um before we move on because we're going to talk a little football here um ira joe and tim who wins the world series mr Kaufman, i'll give you first shot at that well i i think the dodgers have been the best team in baseball in 2017 mm-hmm. as tim alluded they had a hiccup which was a long one um but they they bounced back from that um mm-hmm. I, I like the length of their lineup. I mean, they got guys, Chris Taylor, Kiki Hernandez, mm-hmm. Peterson. Uh, boy, Roberts has a lot of options at his disposal. And I, I think the length of their lineup is better than Houston's. Having said that, you know, I know the Strohs haven't lost at home. Uh, I think I think the Dodgers, with those final two games uh, at home, uh, are going to pull this out. They've, they've got a flair for the dramatic. Um, I'm still sticking with the Dodgers, gentlemen, but I think Houston salvaged uh, a, a very uh, intriguing World Series uh, on on uh, Wednesday nights. Uh, uh, so bravo to the Astros, but I'm going with the Dodgers, guys. Joe? Well, it's tough to go against a team that won 104 games. But I'm going to do it anyway. I think the Astros win. They won 102. <laughs> just, just, just for the well, record, it's not 104, is it? Um, no, no. I, I just saying they're I, not chopped liver here. Uh, yeah. No, they are definitely not chopped liver. But I think they can go. Uh, they showed last night. Um, you've got to put a stake through their heart, and um, Dodgers didn't do that. They had every thing going for them last night and they didn't win and I think this is just the Astros have kind of had that look all year which is not to say the Dodgers haven't but Mm -hmm. this is more of a gut pick than anything else because 
you know, the Dodgers could come back and win the next three games, and I wouldn't be surprised by that either. But I'm making the call, Astros. Tim, what do you got? I think if the Astros are going to win the World Series, they have to win at least two of these next games at home. That sounds very obvious, but I just don't see them winning in seven games. I I think if they can't win in either five or six, they can't win. That's why I would say the Dodgers in seven because, well, at the bottom of it, I'm a baseball fan, so I want the World Series to go seven. I want I want five more games like the first two. It, it's... It, this has been fantastic and and um it had a like i said it had a tough act to follow with that world series last year between cleveland and chicago but i'd like to see it live up to that billing and i think it really can so dodgers and seven i think the uh that fox would like to see the same thing um all right boys uh let's do a lightning uh, well, round what's your, what, what's, your, what's your pick williams What's your oh, pick? my pick! My pick! Uh, my pick is the um, Astros in seven. I like the Astros. Go. I I like I I tell you what I I love watching Yasiel Puig play. <laughs> Last night when the ball bounces into the stands, he throws his glove down, and then when he hits the home run, he just lays the bat down instead of flipping it. I mean, he's. Uh, He's a lot of fun to watch, but I, I don't know. I just – the Astros have that little thing. I don't know. I think tonight – I mean, the I think game three with um, Lutz's own Lance McCullers is going to be uh, a, a very critical game. But uh, I think the fact that they uh, – the Astros have seen Hugh Darvish a lot uh, gives them an advantage that, um, that, might, uh, that might help them down the line. But look – any way it goes, it's going to be fun, but I'll take the Astros in seven. All right, lightning round, boys. Um, each one of you gets us to talk about a little bit about football. You can it can be pro, it can be college, but let's do um, let's do just a few minutes on um, on the NFL. And you know, when you want to talk NFL, the first person you go to is Ira Kaufman. All right, guys, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna veer away from the football field and and, and go into the broadcast booth which is a topic uh, close to Jim Williams' heart. And, yeah. Jim? Yes? While, while a lot of people are uh, building this guy up as, as the next John Madden, let me say this to uh, all you Tony Romo supporters. Um, tell the man to shut up once in a while. Shut up. Uh, you, you don't have to drown me out. It was got so bad at the end of the Chiefs-Raiders game which ended in ugly fashion for this old Chiefs fan. Mm -hmm. um, I was very tempted to shut off the volume on the television. Um, Tony Romo, while the play was in progress, gentlemen, w was screaming who Derek Carr should throw to. Um, I don't need that. Uh, some people think that uh, his brilliant analytics and he's telling you what's going to happen. Um, somebody at the network, Jim, that's the fault. It's not Tony Romo's fault. He's a neophyte. But doesn't somebody at the network have to tell him that he doesn't have to uh, weigh in every 12 seconds? So yeah. there's my rant from a pro football perspective. Uh, he'll grow. He'll learn. You know, John Lynch wasn't very good in year one, as Joe knows, in the booth. But Tony Romo, take it down a notch so I can enjoy the, the football game a little bit. And now Henderson will now tell me how great Tony Romo is. Uh, well, first of all, address all of your correspondence to uh, Lance Barrow, who <laughs> at CBS, <laughs> as well as uh, you know the the fine folks in the programming department. There, they will uh, they will more, be more than happy to take your your comments. I'm sure, Joe. Your boy, so your boy Romo's out of control. Joe, he's out of control. No. <laughs> He is great. I, I love listening to him. Uh, he has kind of fallen in love a little bit with the uh, with the need to tell you the play before it happens. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, maybe he could dial that down a little bit. But uh, he's not a robot, and I like that. Uh, we, he obviously has credibility, and he's having fun. So, so chill, dude. He's great. 
Now, my you're, you're an enabler. You're an enabler, Henderson. That's what yeah. you are. You're an enabler. <laughs> and you're a grump. But um, <laughs> anyway, my little rant, or not rant, but thing that I'm Observation. Watching. Observation. There we go. Nice, nice. Um, what the heck is going on with Martavis Bryant <laughs> in in Pittsburgh? Yeah, they they spanked my Bengals last week, and that I wish I could say I was surprised, but I wasn't. I just sort of sat there and watched it, and nodding like, "Yeah, here we go again." But this is a this is a real thing now with Martavis Bryant, and I'm going to invoke um, a name that Mr. Kaufman will remember. Is is this the Steelers' Keyshawn Johnson? Because mm-hmm. Ooh, they have nice. benched him for Sunday's game against the Lions, demoted him to the to the scout team. Um, Mike Tomlin is sending a message that, you know, I'm the coach, you're the player, shut the hell up and do what I tell you to do. And Bryant is a diva who's, you know, going to do it his way. And if he keeps it up, He's going to be doing it his way on a team that's uh, where he gets traded, where he's going to win like three games or something. So um, uh, this is this is really interesting what's happening there, and it has long-term implications for the Steelers' uh, playoff hopes because nobody will deny that this guy's a weapon, mm-hmm. but he he he's picking the wrong town to be a diva in. Wouldn't you say, Ira? And, and the wrong coaching staff. And the wrong coaching staff. So, Bra- if bravo, he wants Bra- out, Bra- yep, yep. Bravo, Mike Tomlin. Bravo. Yes, yeah, Tomlin. absolutely. And um, if he wants out, all I would tell him is, uh, careful what you wish for. And you mentioned Keyshawn Johnson. It's worth noting, Mike Tomlin was there in Tampa Bay when John Gruden sat Keyshawn Johnson. That's absolutely correct. All right. Well, Tim, you're up. All right. Well, since I mentioned the Bucks, I should stick with that a little bit. You know, this year, because we have gotten to the point where we judge quarterbacks on their win-loss record, I've heard a lot of talk about what's wrong with Jameis Winston. But if you watch that Buffalo game, the answer might very well be nothing at all. He, he looked great, and that offense looked great, especially in the second half. I think they turned a corner and figured out that – if you use O.J. Howard in a certain way, it opens up the entire offense because the defense doesn't know who's getting the ball and someone's going to be open on every passing down. I think they did a great job. The problem is the defense has been asleep at the wheel for the last two weeks, and if they come out like that against Carolina, then forget the playoffs. And, you know, that might have already sailed last week, but... Here they're in as much of a must-win game as you're going to get in October. I think the offense has come around. They're clicking, but the defense is doing just the opposite. They're taking a step backward, and they really need to show up when the Bucks get back to Raymond James Stadium on Sunday afternoon, or you can forget about 2017, Bucks fans. Forgive me for a moment there, Tim. I'm going to channel my inner Jim Mora. Playoffs! Don't talk to me about playoffs with the Bucks. Playoffs. Whether whether it's reasonable or not, that's what this entire season's been about since the preseason. So it it comes down to pass fail, and that's that's unfortunate for a team that's two and four and not looking very good right now. But it's there's only one way to have a successful season at this point, and that's improving on what they've done to this point in to improving on their nine and seven record last year. And that's looking very unlikely right now. So yes. Yeah. I'd agree with you. The playoffs are a very big long shot at this point. We should hardly be talking about it, but with the bucks, that's all you can talk about because that's been the goal since last year. Okay. I'm going to go with the mid Atlantic here and relevancy. Uh, Thursday night football, the Miami dolphins come to M and T bank stadium and if they win, then the Ravens will be irrelevant for the rest of the 2017 season. And frankly, it could cost either Ozzie Newsome his job or it could put uh, Mr. Um, 
Harbaugh in a very, very, very precarious situation entering the 2018 season. And then, of course, on um, Sunday, the Redskins and the uh, and the Cowboys play at FedEx Field, and that's going to be a big uh, game for both teams. Whoever wins that uh, game remains relevant. Whoever loses that game ceases to be relevant. So it's the oh, relevant uh, weekend in in uh, in uh, <laughs> in it's a relevant weekend in the Mid Atlantic. Ira, you were going to say, uh, J- Jim, what what is going on with Joe Flacco? Uh, everything I'm reading is uh, people say he's done. He's over the hill. Um, you know, the guy's not 38 years old. Um, is, is Flacco done, Jimmy? I would suggest to you that part of it is, A, an offensive line that simply cannot seem to hold a block for more than five or six counts. Um, you know, the other thing is that um, his wide receivers. I mean, there's a lot of drop footballs uh, on that uh on that side, I'm not. Uh, I'm not an apologist for Joe, but I, I also don't think you can blame him wholeheartedly for what has happened in Baltimore. I think that, you know, he throws the ball, and if guys don't catch it, that's that's not on him. If they don't run the right route, that's not on him either. So, um, you know, I, I'm I willing like, to cut uh, him I don't like their talent, um, Jim. I don't like their talent at the skill positions around them. It's not very good. They don't have think. talent at the skill positions. Uh, I mean, let's go back to something that you and Joe hit on just a second ago real quick, and that is Mike Wallace is there. Mike Wallace is a former Pittsburgh wide receiver. He was he flourished in the in the Steelers offense. He does not flourish in the uh in the Ravens offense. So, you know, and there's a lot of former Steeler wide receivers um, you know, so it's a cautionary tale for those who screw up uh under the Steelers situation at the, that they're going to go somewhere else and be a successful wideout. All right, boys, um, social media and final thoughts. And we'll start with uh, Tim. Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tim writes sports. And I'm going to go back to baseball for a moment. And, you know, this world series has, the Dodgers in it, the the Astros in it. You've got two teams that won over a hundred games, and the postseason in almost any sport can be cruel. It's often that the best teams don't get to the final round in pretty much every sport, but basketball, where it's all but a given that the Cavs and the Warriors will be playing for the championship every year for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so it, it's great to see one. One World Series with two teams that won over 100 games, that doesn't happen very often. It's been a long time since that's happened. So on top of everything else that this World Series represents, enjoy that these are, without pretty much any question, the two best teams in baseball in 2017. Mr. Henderson. Well, you can find me on Twitter at uh, jhendersontampa. And I'm just going to touch on what is an increasingly bizarre situation at the University of Florida. Um, (laughs) Hey, you know, you've got the the head coach made national news saying that uh, he had, he had received death threats, his family, his team, um, then wouldn't even provide details to his own administration. That's just unacceptable. There's just no other way around it. So he, Jim McElwain mishandled it on two fronts. You know, you, first off, you don't keep that a secret. If I'm the parent of a Gator athlete, I might like to know if if that's out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And you definitely tell your athletic director before you tell the media in a press conference that this has happened. So if form follows, the Gators are just going to get drubbed this week by Georgia. And this season is spinning out of control uh, for the Gators. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I know he's been to the SEC championship game in his first two seasons, but it's, you know, they really weren't competitive when they got there. 
the talent level is not what it needs to be. They're not certainly haven't developed a quarterback, and that was supposed to be his calling card. So just keep an eye on this Gator situation because this thing is unraveling, and it could take Jim McElwain with it. Hey, Joe, real quick on that Florida thing. Um, mm-hmm. How long will it take for Scott Frost to get there? Well, um, it'd probably take him about two and a half minutes, but uh, the that's a little longer from Orlando to Gainesville than two and a well, half. Well, you know, uh, yeah, but if you're if you're you know if you're motivated, but, that's uh, true. It'll get you there. You quicker. know, the the question's going to be um, let's just let's just play with that one for a minute. If that job does open up. Uh, Scott Frost would be a, an easy, obvious choice, but, you know, he played at Nebraska. His heart might be in Nebraska. And what he would have to decide is, do I want to get into that pressure cooker of the SEC uh, or return to more familiar turf? Now, you know, a head coach is going to want to challenge himself against the best, and that means the SEC and Nick Saban, but yeah, I mean, he would be a—he would certainly be a frontline candidate. But here's another one for you. How about a former Gator coach named Charlie Strong? No, I don't think that's going to happen. Mm-hmm, I think okay. I, the reason I say that is because they tend to want coaches who are younger than 50 years old. And I think that that benefits Scott Frost at this point. Probably. But just saying. Anyway. Not that Charlie, not that Charlie doesn't deserve, you know, a shot, but I think, I think Charlie's um, Maison d'Etre is to be the guy who brings USF, you know, to a, you know, to the next level uh, and keeps them there. But, you know, I could be wrong. Well, that next level includes an on-campus stadium, which Mm -hmm. it seems likely was a, uh, a major part of him coming to USF to begin with. Right. And uh, that one's in the works. So, you okay. know, yeah, maybe, maybe playing at Charlie strong stadium would be a, would be a bonus for him. There you go. And it would be Joe Henderson field. All right. So there, there you go. go. All right. Ira Kaufman, you're up. All right. Uh, social media at I Kaufman 76. Just a quick note about the NBA, which I normally don't pay too much attention to during the regular season. Mm-hmm. But uh, this old Sixer fan um, is starting to get encouraged. Uh, Jim, a, a tree grows in Brooklyn and, and hope grows in Philly. Uh, and by that, I mean they got a couple of pieces in place. Uh, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid is the real deal. He's outstanding if he can stay healthy. And now we finally see Ben Simmons, after all the hoopla, and missed all of his rookie season with, with a broken foot and uh, – Joe, the, the kid is sensational. Uh, he's already got a triple double. He's six foot ten. He's playing point guard. Uh, I'm not calling him the next Magic Johnson. There's never going to be another. Uh, but the kid uh, looks great. And um, if those two guys stay healthy, uh, the uh, the future in Philadelphia looks pretty healthy for a team that says trust the process, gentlemen. And uh, <laughs> I have been uh, I haven't been uh, very trusting of this process, but uh, these two guys, uh, if they're on the court together, uh, I think the future uh, look looks sweet for uh, for Sixer fans. Ira, don't you mean trust the tanking? Trust the tanking. Trust the process. Uh, trust the ping Jim, they balls. played the Wizards. Uh, they played the Wizards last week. I believe the I believe uh, Washington won the game, but. Uh, yeah. Philly, Philly is now competitive with those two guys on the floor. Yeah, they they are a much better team, um, and they've got a lot to to look forward to. So yeah, I think that uh, you know, uh, and, and I think they don't sleep on that Brooklyn team you talked about either. They're uh, they're a, a vastly improving young team as well. Ira, also don't uh, don't forget to plug your wonderful work at um, at Joe Buck's fan. We want to be able Thank to you. find you there and also to find your podcast there, too. Thank you, Jim. Uh, much, much appreciated. So please yeah, JoeBucksFan.com. Yep. And uh, also, you can find Ira's um, podcast uh, in the iTunes store. Um, I'm sure there are other places to find it, but, you know, that's the place I know to now, find uh, it. Now, uh, Jim, Jim uh, yeah. I, I, don't want you to drop the, I don't want you to drop the phone here, Mr. Williams. 
I don't mm-hmm. want you to drop the phone. But uh, my people are Joe Bucks fan who are mm-hmm. into analytics, and, mm-hmm. and you know they pay different uh, companies to track these things, which is mm-hmm. what you do. Right. Um, they they are telling me, Jim, as mm-hmm. of about three weeks ago, um, some kind of chart on on, on uh, Google Play, uh, which mm-hmm. keeps track of these podcasts. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I am now uh, number 35 in the nation uh, ahead of George Stephanopoulos on, on, on my podcast. Um, it sounds crazy, Jim. sounds nuts. Uh, this is a little podcast about a two-and-four football team. But um, we're moving on up, Mr. Williams. Look out. Well, that brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. If you've not yet subscribed to the podcast, it's easy enough to do. You can get us in the iTunes store for free, of course. Find us on the Blog Talk Radio site. Again, easy to do. Find us on Stitcher, where we are part of a very impressive family of podcasts. Proud to be there. Also, if you're one of the over 120 million people, myself included, who have the TuneIn app, then search the Sunshine Boys podcast, hit that favorite button, and you'll get the latest edition sent to your phone or to your tablet every week. Well, thanks again, as always, to Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves, to Tim Williams, who always brings a fresh perspective to the table. So until next week, I'm Jim Williams, your host of Sunshine Boys podcast, saying have a wonderful weekend. 